Perhaps you're feeling weary today, or you may be overflowing with great joy. Is your heart hurting, filled with fear or sorrow? Friends, we want you to know that God's Word is able to wash over you and flood your thirsty soul because it is living water. Through His Word, our thoughts are guided toward peace, strength, comfort, courage, and gratitude as we walk one day at a time with God. This podcast is part of the global outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library. Welcome to Walk with God. Welcome to Walk with God. My name is Brenda, and Walt and I are going to continue today in our study of Haggai. We're going to begin in chapter 2, but I want to talk to you about renovation projects. They are exciting. Well, at first, maybe for just a little while. For a little while. Yeah, then they can become exhausting and stressful. In fact, you know, sometimes the work seems to come in fits and starts. You're you're moving right along, you've got all your materials, and all of a sudden, there's a big bump in the rug or in the road or wherever the bump is. And, you know, it comes to a halt, or you've got a problem to solve, right? Right. Problem solving is a part of every renovation project. So, you know, right now, each of our adult sons with their families are working on renovation and remodel projects in each of their homes right now. You know, just saying that makes me really tired, really tired. Just the reports make us really tired. And they have hit different bumps in the road over the past few months. But whenever we talk to them, they continue to express excitement and enjoy as they see progress. And they are looking for light at the end of this renovation tunnel. Well, that's exactly where we're at in Haggai. There's excitement and joy, but yet there's that stress that comes. It's exhausting. It's hard work. And so that's what we see happening in these opening verses of chapter 2. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shittael, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? Well, once again, this book is dated. We saw that in chapter 1, and the date as we begin chapter 2 is now October 17th. If you remember, we began August 29th, and so we're moving along just days, weeks at a time. And now we are at the Feast of the Tabernacle. The people, they've actually been working in obedience and have come back to work on the Lord's house uh, for just about four weeks. What I love here in the beginning of chapter two is that this message once again is coming from the Lord. It is the Lord's word through his prophet, and that is being directed to the governor of Judah, so the government official, to the high priest, who is then the 
the religious official and then to the remnant of the people. Well, verse three, who's left? Um, In other words, he's asking and saying, who among you is at least 70 years or older? And can you remember the temple that used to be sitting here? And then how, how do you see this now? Have you taken a trip back in your own life? Um, Because that's what the prophet is asking uh, through the word of the Lord, who remembers? And if you think back to when you were maybe seven or eight years old, these people would have to be in their 70s in order to remember Solomon's temple. They would have been carried into the Babylonian exile, and now they're coming back. And I don't know about you, but I always kind of think about um, my elementary school, W.R. Croman. Yes, we both went there. Yep, yep, we did. We we went there for elementary school in the little town of Troy, W.R. Croman. And, you know, it just seemed like such a big school when I was in kindergarten and first and second and third grade. I remember there were times that when we would be kind of, a, the, it would be rainy or snowy or something outside and we couldn't go out for recess. And so we'd, we'd have them in the cafetorium, a cafeteria and auditorium. And it was like a huge play area. Well, you go back and visit and it's like, that's not huge at all. <laughs> I know, it's really a small, it's really small room. I know, but we played dodgeball in there. It was it was great those days we couldn't go outside, but yeah, it it the, it's the comparison, right? And so that's what's happening here in these opening verses and Walt, I know we've been talking about comparison and what did that first temple in fact look like and we could we could spend a whole session just on that first temple on solomon's temple but i just want to summarize a couple of thoughts one is um the the value of the gold that was used to cover the interior of of, of solomon's temple is given in second chronicles 3 and if you go there what you'll find out is that um just in the construction not not any of the gems, not any of the jewels, not anything else, but just in the in the basic con- construction, they used over seven hundred and twenty thousand ounces of gold. Now, let me say that again: seven thousand seven hundred and twenty thousand ounces of gold. And I, I just looked it up. The uh, gold is chain is right now is selling for one thousand eight hundred and fourteen dollars an ounce. And if you do the math, and if my math is, is right, Uh-oh. what that, no, no, I think it is, but it means that $1.6 billion worth of gold was used in Solomon's temple. And that doesn't even include the lumber, the precious stones, so many other things. What it's saying is this was the first billion dollar building, and um, it was spectacular. And what's interesting is if they started working, they've now been working for about four weeks. And as they start working, there's supposed to be a time of the the Feast of Tabernacles. It was like a harvest festival. And it's a joyous time. It's a thanksgiving um, for God's harvest and God's goodness and his provision. But the people aren't feeling encouraged because as we look back in chapter 1, um, we were told, you sow much, but you, you reap little. The people are reaping little because of their previous disobedience. 
God's going to change that, but not for this harvest, not till the next harvests that begin. And I, I love even the, the Deuteronomy 16 tells us about the celebrating of the, the Feast of Booths or, or Tabernacles. And this is day seven, and they've gathered from the threshing floor your wine vat. This is a time when, when all your grain is in, you, you get the last of your grapes and um, olives. Olives are, are, are now harvested, and, and you're doing the processing of them, of, of the grapes and of the olives. And you're to rejoice in the feast, and, and you and your sons and your daughters and your male and female servants and the Levites and the stranger and the orphan um, who are in your towns. All of this you shall rejoice seven days and celebrate a feast to the Lord your God. And so that's where we're at here. But the word of the prophet is interesting because it's now saying, um, we're going to come and we're going to um, share with you that that even prophetically, um, people are discouraged. It, you're comparing something you started with something that's 70 years earlier and something that was built with far more money, and, um, and that's deadly. Again, the memories of the people looking back um, are saying, that was so great. This seems like nothing in comparison. And even just with that, it seems like nothing in comparison. Um, that kind of brings us even to that idea of comparison. Yeah, and as you're even talking about that, Weld, I'm looking back at the text, and the whole idea, as we as we were doing our last lesson, we, we ended with that, that phrase of decide to obey. And so they had made that decision, right? They made that commitment there at the end of September, as the Lord's, the word had come to them uh, through Haggai. And so they've, they've now turned and they're walking in obedience for four weeks, right? But but that doesn't yield a good harvest this fall. Yeah, that doesn't change um, what they've been sowing up to this point four weeks before is great. I mean, what they've been sowing for four weeks, but but what they've been doing for the previous 15 years, 16 years, was disobedience, and God divinely was disciplining them. Right, and so they're you know, they're faced then with this harvest that's in front of them and the celebration, as you said, the this fall, autumn, the festival of booze, and they are reminded that they hadn't been doing what God called them to do because they don't have a great harvest. God hasn't blessed their harvest. But let's talk a little more about comparison because I think we all do it. Um, it's part of our human, right? Yeah, that, I think part of our fallen human yes, nature. Yes, right, right, right. Exactly, our sinful nature. Uh, that whole idea of comparison. And, you know, just as we were talking over these last couple days, uh, I just was reminded with regard to comparison, do I look at those people who have more than me and compare what I have to them, or do I look look at those people who are less fortunate might might have less than me? Where where do my eyes of comparison usually go? And I have to admit, I'm very guilty, right? I because where do I look? I look 
to those who, in my mind, have more, have it better. And so I'm not, I'm not looking at those who I, I think in my mind have less and, and comparing and saying, wow, look at how much God's blessed me with. No, I'm, it's comparison turns more into that grumble. And I'm looking at the value of my life compared to someone else's exterior appearance or their intelligence or the way that they've climbed the ladder of success at work. Uh, or And sometimes even as believers, we compare spirituality with regard to, you know, prayer and time spent in quiet time or journaling and and we compare and say well i'm i'm doing much better than them and it seems like either end of that the, the act of comparing and comparison it seems like either end of that really robs us of our joy it it, it if we're looking at people that have way more than us we're just prone to say god What's wrong with me? Why haven't you blessed me the same way that you blessed them? And so we're, we, we become discouraged and, and begin to become uh, murmurers and, and complainers. But then when we look at people that have far less and when we look at people that are in far worse sit- situations, we're to have compassion. But um, comparison often leads to the sin of pride, mm-hmm. to conceit, to arrogance. Hey, I've done it better than those people. And, and just to remind us, that kind of uh, either of those two responses, either conceit and pride or or just um, envy and jealousy, either one of those will destroy us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that statement that uh, we discussed, the act of comparis- comparison is so deadly, what, to our emotional and our spiritual well-being. And that's what's happening here. The people are looking back at the at Solomon's temple and what what the message that comes through here is, no, I've called you to do this task. I know you don't have all the gold of Solomon, but I want you to build the house of the Lord. And friends, just that idea, life is hard. There are victories along the way that we will have victories, we'll have experience joy and celebration, but there will be difficult days, weeks, months, years. I just think of that song, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. And what is this verse four and five tell us with regard to that? Yeah, life is hard, but now take courage, Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and all you people of the land. Take courage, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. As for the promise which I made to you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst, do not fear. And that, that word even in the Hebrew, take courage or, the, or courage, really what it's talking about is when you feel scared and you feel like running away, like if enemies were coming and you're going to be overpowered and you decide, I, I, just, I just need to flee. Um, I can't stand any longer. Um, taking courage is you stand, 
You stand with conviction, facing whatever's coming your way. And and that's what the prophet is saying. You know, it's interesting, Brenda, the, the prophet of God has come to these people, and he's, he's telling them what they're thinking about, and, and he's engaging their emotions. And what he's saying is, I, I, I get it, right now there's fear. I get it, right now there's discouragement. But you need to take courage that God is with you. As you work for him, declares the Lord of hosts in verse 4. Um, and then in verse 5, and, and the promise which I made to you when you came out of Egypt, when I shook the mountain there in Mount Sinai, when I shook that, I showed you that I'm with you and I'm powerful. And the same thing is true now. I'm still with you. I'm still powerful. And remember, the same thing is true for us. For those of us who've come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, he is with us. He is with us, and His Spirit is abiding in our midst, and we don't have to live a life of fear. Mm. It, it it almost seems like a, and just um, I don't know I don't know how to what word to wrap around this, but that repetition of take courage. You know, it's it's like when you're calming a child who's upset. And you say it's okay, and you're, you know, you're holding them close, and you're kind of patting um, them on the back, and it's okay, it's okay, you're going to be okay, and that that repetition of take courage, take courage, take courage, stand strong. Joshua, those words were spoken to Joshua as he was now the new leader over Israel, ready to cross into the promised land across the Jordan River. And as we look at verses four and five, and as Walt has pointed out, God says, I'm with you. I'm in your midst. Do not fear. He will take every single step with us. Fear is not going to hold back our obedience. We will choose to obey the Lord and to walk according to the path that he's opened in front of us. And that's what he's calling them. Yeah. And just, it's interesting because that whole idea of take courage is repeated three times. And Hebrew doesn't have exclamation points, but but what this does is by re- repeating it, it's emphasizing the importance of this. It would be almost like this, take courage. No, no, you guys all take courage. No, we all have to take courage. And in the midst of the discouragement and when they felt like quitting, um, I don't know if you've been there, but I've been there. I've had times um, where I've been discouraged and I felt like quitting something. And um, and this life sometimes just discourages us. And, and especially when we compare ourselves to others or we compare ourselves to um, just the, this ideal that, that um, this is what I deserve. And what we deserve is is death. And yet God gives us life. I love the in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews verse uh, chapter 13 says, God will never desert you nor forsake you. Take courage. Take courage in with the presence of God in your life. And then I want to just even ask you a question. Can you name a specific situation now in your life where God wants you to take courage and work? Um, it could be he wants you to take courage and work um, at giving. It might be he, he wants you to take courage and work at reaching out to a neighbor um, or to, to be courageous and, and send a note of encouragement to a friend and maybe even send a note of encouragement to someone who's not a friend. Well, in, we want to 
wrap up these first five verses from Haggai 2 and just note some simple truths that we've seen this week. The word of the Lord came to them. God delivered his word to his people, calling them back to walk with him, offering words of encouragement, telling them where they were missing the mark. He then asks, does it seem like nothing in comparison? God doesn't want us to compare. Don't look around and compare your situation to people next to you or people who live across the street or in the next town over, but rather look to the Lord and see what he has given you and offer to him words of thanks and offer gratitude to him. And then friends, take courage, take courage, take courage. Why? Because the Lord says, I am with you. Do not fear. God has given each of us gifts, abilities, and talents. We are unique. We are different in his plan. And he's called us to participate in his work along with us. He calls us to obey him and walk in the path he's chosen. Friends, until our next time together, may you continue to walk with God. Thank you for joining us as we walk with God. This is Brenda McCord. Walt and I are thankful for this opportunity to participate with the Awakening in America, an outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library.